are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in today, here today on the Steve Dace Podcast. On Westwood One, powered by CRTV, I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with us as well. And we would love it if you would join us. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And of course, today is Friday which means we will get to some of that feedback here on the podcast momentarily. But we just wrapped up production for today's CRTV show. It was our Dace Group Weekly Roundtable. Reviewing the week that was, let's give the audience a little preview of what's to come. Todd. Well, uh, when we lead off a show on Friday with uh, tariffs, (laughs) that you might think, "Eh, this is a kind of a place i go to for uh uh worldview and things like that well i mean we taxing is definitely can be a worldview issue and i think we we really brought it we came at it from a lot of uh, different uh uh, perspectives even mostly agreed, but at different angle, personal angles. I mean, it was fascinating to just learn about uh, uh, Nate and his side business, and and I think the whole game was elevated just because of how cool Nate looks in a leather jacket. No quite kidding. frankly, dude did crush that. Yes, I was going to say something, but I thought, is that is that is, is that wrong? No, I did, I did. <laughs> before I know you even came in, I did. I know it's wrong to say it directly. Well, I wasn't sure if it was wrong to say it directly to him. I know the dude code is okay with indirect through a third party making a note, right? But just stepping directly to another dude and say, hey, man, you're really pulling that off. Ah. <laughs> We're in a gray area, all right? But now that he's not here, he did crush that leather jacket look today. I'm with you on that. Aaron. Uh, I thought you were going to say, Todd, when when you open up the show with tariffs, it's going to be really boring, which is why I had that same thought, too. So I was I was going through like man, what can I do to kind of spice these topics up today? I actually at one point considered um, singing a song, uh, (laughs) creating a song, composing a song for the first story, and then doing slam poetry for the second story. But I just figured people would, that would would turn people off even faster than just, you know, doing a a typical story. And you like your job, so I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of it as as well. But uh, like Todd said, I think all of us kind of uh, really brought it today on uh, on all three stories. Uh, Chris Chris, uh, Pandolfo and uh, Nate Madden were on, um, were the guest panelists today. Definitely, uh, definitely want to check it out. For sure. And by the way, promo, you know, the name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. The promo code is also spelled D-E-A-C-E. Segways are great, Steve. You're right. And you can use that promo code that Aaron just mentioned. You can use that to get a discounted subscription to CRTV if you're not yet a subscriber. So you can watch today's Days Group, all the shows you've ever done, as well as all the shows that our entire team here at CRTV does. Yeah. And uh, just a reminder, too. I mean, this is, you know, we're capitalists. This is a business. But um, if you like this type of programming, specifically our programming, you got to at least consider supporting it and and just support it, uh, whether that's a subscription to CRTV uh, you know, you can get it for ten bucks a month, uh, eighty nine bucks a year when you use promo code Dace, uh, or whether that's just telling people about the podcast. If you like this programming, you got to support it. 
Right, and you can help the podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber on iTunes or Stitcher, just it takes 10 seconds to click on that. That would help us. If you've got an extra couple of minutes today, you can write us a positive review on one of those sites. That would be great as well. So thank you very much uh, to those of you that have already done all those things that Aaron talked about. All right, let's get to some of the feedback that has come into the inbox in recent times. You guys ready to go? Well, quick question. Any feedback, and maybe you're going to include some, but what are you hearing about Theology Thursday yesterday? Uh, I actually have gotten, I got a lot of feedback about it and I just have not had a time to filter through it. So we're not going to put that into this particular episode because I got more than I anticipated. And good stuff. And most of it is very, Hey, I'd never heard it that way before. Thank you very much. But yeah, we got a lot of good feedback to that theology Thursday last week. Judy Hubbard from Rayaboth beach, Delaware writes this. I am asking for you guys' advice. I was a K-12 homeschooling mom. From there, when college money was needed, I started working. I have taught in both Christian and public schools. While I loved the people in the Christian school, the pages could not meet the bills. For a while, I earned more by tutoring after school and evenings, but I was exhausted after working 14 days on end. Moving to the public school last year was a financial answer to prayer. My salary doubled, and I find the job itself quite pleasant. I teach remedial reading to young special ed kids, and they are a joy. The school where I work has quite a few Christian teachers, many believing parents and students, and therefore I've never felt uneasy there because of my faith. As a lifelong conservative and charter subscriber to Levin TV, plus I'm a strong believer, my job requires one thing of me, though, that I find distasteful. You see, by law... I must carry an NEA membership card. My state requires NEA, that's National Education Association, for those that don't know, they are Marxists. That's really what they are. You want to know what the NEA is really about? Go watch a documentary from seven, eight years ago called Waiting for Superman. Yeah. It's tremendous. Every American should watch. It's great. And the guy who did that documentary helped Al Gore produce An Inconvenient Truth. He's not one of us which makes it even more powerful. My state requires NEA membership in order to be employed as a teacher. Nearly $700 of my pay goes to support abortion rights, fight against homeschooling, or lobby for every cause that is anathema to me. Recently, the right-to-work cause was put to a vote in my county council, and it was turned down. Why? Not because the county council did not support it. They did. But the deciding vote was cast against it due to fear of lawsuits from the NEA if we were given the opportunity to opt out. In school, they would label that bullying and teach the bully to stop threatening the underdogs. In real life, it is called politics. And in this case, the conservatives lost. If you guys were in my shoes, what would you do? Fight for change, pay up and shut up. I have a hunch there are millions of us out there who, if given the choice, would love to have a teaching job without being forced to support the NEA. What say ye? Well, we are all going to take turns answering this one, okay? I will go first. It is very easy for someone in my line of work to sit there and say to you, Judy, you need to take a stand. Many people in my line of work, including several who make a lot more money than me, really never have. They've just talked about stances. They've just talked. Done television, radio, but they've never actually gotten on the front lines of recruiting candidates, advocating causes, putting their name out there, and faced the full brunt of that as a result. 
the former Republican governor of my state, when I did local talk radio here in Iowa, detested me because I, I kept criticizing him from the right, pointing out how he was selling us out on numerous issues. He literally called my program director himself to get me canned. And I would be told, don't talk about this. So you know what I would do? I'd go right on the air that afternoon and I would talk about it. And why did I do that? Because cockroaches don't like sunlight. Something I've said to my worldview students many times this school year, and I've said to many political candidates I've worked with, consulted, et cetera. I, and, and given the time of year we're in, we're in a, a time of Lent leading up to Easter, very apropos question. Jesus criticized the fakes, the phonies, the hypocrites, right to their faces in broad daylight. He went to the temple, the center of community, in his community. And, he, and, he, and to the crowd, he would point to the fakes. He would say, hey, if you want to know who I was just giving you a message about, that's the fake right there, that guy. Don't listen. Don't, don't, hey, that group of people over there, total frauds, total phonies. Don't listen to any of them. They're all hellbound. And they hated him for it. But they never arrested him or went after him in that setting. Why? They were afraid of the crowds. The crowds that gather in the sunlight. When did they finally arrest Jesus? Under the cover of darkness in a secluded garden. When was his quote-unquote trial before Caiaphas? Which was a sham. Star chamber, show trial, dead of night. There's a lesson there. The more sunlight, the re- there's always a reason they tell you not to, not to talk about these things in public. Whatever they tell you not to talk about in public, do it. See, I knew, I knew as long as I brought all of the criticism, they, that, that they were, or, or all of, not the criticism, because the criticism was legitimate, all of the leverage, the intimidation that they tried to bring against me, I knew as long as I let it out into the open and my audience knew about it, because my audience was large. I knew as long as my audience knew about it, they couldn't touch me because the audience would rebel. But if my audience didn't know about it, one day they could get up, turn the radio on at four o'clock in the afternoon and guess who's not on? I'm gone. And they've already made the move and there's nothing that can be done because they did it in the dead of night before the, the mob, the crowd could react. That's why I always talked about this over the airwaves. You always heard about them doing this, them coming after me. I let you know. Because I knew they couldn't touch me in the daylight. Because as long as this remained in the daylight, the argument would be about my performance. Are we generating ratings? Are we generating revenue? Are you tuning in? It would not be about, is this is so-and-so pissed off? Is so-and-so offended? Is so-and-so that so-and-so wants to sit next to at an Iowa football game in the, in, the, in the luxury box, but he won't get invited because of what his afternoon host is saying. No, I'm not getting fired for any of those reasons. When you, if and when you fire, I, mean, I used to tell my management, it will strictly be for my performance. I will not give you another reason, nor will I give you the chance to. Now, I worked for great management, by the way. Great management. I loved my time there. We didn't always agree, but we, we, I loved my time there. So this is not meant to impugn them, but to point out, even when you have good management, the amount of pressure that they are under when you 
call balls and strikes and tell it like it is. So I'm going to give you this advice, Judy, from someone who has risked his career, who has risked his livelihood, who, who still lives in the same moderately successful upper middle class neighborhood I lived in before I got into national media. Because I haven't made the compromises and sellouts some of the others in my industry have that are getting paid a lot more money than I am. And if I hadn't done those things, I would nowhere be in within my right to give you the advice and counsel and encouragement I'm about to give you. But because I've already walked a mile in the shoes I'm about to propose you walk in, I think I have the credibility to do it. What's going on in your state will not change until people like you decide you're going to change it, period. And it won't be changed in a state like yours, a very liberal democratic state. It won't be changed just by an election. You have to win a culture first. It's the old Margaret Thatcher line. First you win the argument, then you win the vote. Look at what Scott Walker did in a state that Republicans could win statewide. People forget Tommy Thompson. Was he elected four times, Governor? Statewide in Wisconsin. So even though Republicans have struggled to win there in presidential elections, Republicans have won numerous statewide elections before Scott Walker came along. It was far more of a swing state than your state of Delaware is. It's a hard blue state. And look what happened to Scott Walker when he followed through on the reforms along the lines of the issue that you're addressing. In a state where the Republicans were still very well represented statewide, the mobocracy he faced was really, it's almost unprecedented what we've seen in modern American history. Now imagine trying to do that in a state like yours. Which means you've got to win an argument. The po- you, just, you, just, you just noted this in your own council. The votes were there, but they were worried. Essentially, they're worried about cultural backlash. That's, an, that's the issue. You have the political votes, but not the political will. We are not a nation of laws and never have been. We should be, but we never have been. We are a nation of political will and always have been and always will be. So you have the votes, but you don't have the will. The will will only happen when the cultural argument is made. Often these cultural arguments are made because somebody, whether it's a, 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 a small black Baptist seamstress one day in Alabama, whether it's an Augustinian monk one day in Wittenberg, Germany, Often these cultural arguments are won throughout human history by one person's willingness to simply say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going along with that. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. I'm righteously angry, but it's not personal. But what you're asking me to do, I, I will not do. It's not right, and I won't stand for it. So the answer is no, I won't comply. We're not willing to do that. I don't believe any, Aaron, Melissa Klein, none of these people should pay any of these fines. No one, no one should pay any fine. No one should abide by any decree against conscience on any level. No believer ever should. And I guarantee you, if you look at the history of this church, any leader worthy of having never did. 
Now, I wish I could tell you that they all, I wish I could tell you that when Polycarp looked at the Romans and they said, hey, can you just give us one Kaiser Curious for good measure here and we'll just be on our merry way. I wish I could tell you that when he said, you know what, I just, guys, I can't do it. They're like, you know what, dude, man, you're like 86 years old. We'll just let this one slide. No, they burned him alive. So I wish I could tell you the world lets it slide when you tell them no. They don't. I've given plenty of people reasons to hate me. I know I'm unlikable. I live with me. But there are all kinds of people that hate my guts I've never done anything to. And you know why? Because I'm not willing to comply with what they're willing to comply with, and they hate me for it, because it exposes their weakness. Well, that's a you problem, not mine. And ultimately, if you want things to change, you have to be willing to change them. You got to be willing to say, I'm not doing that. No. No, no, no thanks. Someone's got to be the Bartleby, the Scrivener here, man, and just say, I would prefer not to. Thank you. No is a magic word. I love no. I tell my kids no sometimes when I really mean yes, just because I like to say it. And then when they start feeling disappointed, I'm like, I'm just kidding. Of course you can do that. I, I love no. But I had to learn to love no. I always felt bad for saying no. Like I needed people's approval. Like, what would the backlash be if I said no? Now I think I've gone so far the other way. My name is no. My number is no. No. (laughs) I love no. But no is a magical word. Every great social reform in human history has started with a word. The same word. No. No, I'm not going to do that. Do you know why we never hear yes from this culture? Because we never tell it no. Preach. That's why. You never tell it no. Put that mantra on a bumper sticker. Preach it high, preach it low. There's there's nowhere we're willing to just simply say no. No, I'm not going to do that. Your thoughts, gentlemen. Well, really quickly, you know, the, whatever level of guilt you have in being complicit in, in right out of the gate, you know, paying these NRA fees, not NRA, NEA. excuse me, NEA. Yeah. Uh, it's understandable you get into this thing. You're you're a new employee. Uh, it you know it it's impossible to go on a crusade at that point. But going in, as long as your promise is as Steve said, to change, then to, to fight for change, then you're all right here in the near term. I mean, you don't have blood on your hands or anything like that. But if you, if you refuse to fight it in whatever means are at your disposal, uh, then you should seek work elsewhere because you know you are... In, involved on some on something on some level that is grating on your conscience and that is destructive um, but you won't stand and that that's not a uh, tenable situation for your soul uh, quite frankly it's if you simply decide you know because I, I don't feel I'm capable 
of make of fighting that fight and therefore you will accept the consequences that are apparently taking less money elsewhere uh that might be the choice you have to make but it doesn't based on the letter you wrote i don't think you're that person i think you got plenty of fight in you uh it, it might be a different kind of fight than others the timing of that fight isn't always the same from one year to the next um but if you're going to have that job you have to fight aaron yeah ask yourself um not if if this is where you're coming from asking yourself ask yourself what am i willing to do about this really ask yourself that what am i willing to do and then do it if 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 you are if you are um seriously concerned about this and you have every right to be ask yourself what you're willing to do and then follow your conscience that's that's really all all that all that you all that you can do ask yourself at the end of your at, you know down the road ask yourself what it would be like when you're looking back and you're saying I wish I would have done this or what would have been different if I had done this or what do I think about myself now if I had done this really ask yourself what you're willing to do and then do it so because I don't want to leave you hanging Judy I'm because of what I do for a living I may have connections that can help you so if you want to send me a follow-up email here's what I would suggest there's two ways to attack this situation the first is to attack it from a, a union dues standpoint. That's a long, laborious war. Another way to attack this is from a freedom of assembly, a freedom of association, right of conscience standpoint. And that is an issue that, that is waging hot in our courts at the moment, all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And there's new leadership at Alliance Defending Freedom, which has always done good work. But now Michael Ferris, my old buddy, is running the show. And he's a little bit ornerier than the previous regime was. He might be more inclined to take a, a monkey, you know, flinging monkey poo kind of case like yours. Or I'd, or I'd take a look at um, uh, First Liberty uh, Foundation in Texas. Hiram Sasser. Uh, that group that's down there that we've had them on many times, Aaron. Yep. Ted Cruz came out of that group. That might be another uh, avenue to take a look at your situation to see if there's at least a beachhead that could be established that this is a denial of your right of conscience. Because they're not merely a union. They're a political organization. They're actively forcing you. The state is forcing you, not indirectly through taxation, which they then appropriate, appropriate they are now directly compelling you to fund a cause that goes against your conscience and that might be another avenue by which to explore this so if you wanted to send me a follow-up note judy i will introduce you to people at both those entities that i know via email and see what happens nothing may happen but it's worth a shot if you want to take one Brian writes, thanks for your article recently on Bill Maher. I enjoy it greatly. And I mention this because there are other atheists like him who are capable and willing to call out leftists on their horse pucky. Uh, atheist conservatives do exist. Yes, we tend to vote Republican. We own guns. No, we didn't like Hillary or Barack or Dianne Feinstein, Schirmer or their ilk either. And we would appreciate a little bit more pub. So give us some love. Well, Brian, that's why I read your email. Mission accomplished. We've done. done that. Done that.
Larry Jones in Peterborough, New Hampshire, writes, The repugnant goons know they can lie with impunity because they know that their useful idiot party loyalists will vote for them no matter what they do, habitually rationalizing their glazed-eyed loyalty with, well, at least they're not as bad as the Democrats, thus perpetually voting to lynch the country with an eight-foot rope instead of the six-foot rope the demon craps prefer. Um, I, well, I think huh? Larry's frustrated. Huh? <laughs> I thought is that it? Or That's does it, it go? That was the note. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think I think I think Larry's Larry's kinda had his, had had his moment of he's had enough of this. What do y'all think? Well, I hope he feels better. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I've been there. We're there every day. <laughs> Uh, Stephanie writes, I'm 54 and I have two daughters, 20 and 22, one an independent adult and one who is in college. I quit working when my first daughter was born and still don't work today. That's just for reference. Anyhow, over the years, I've noticed another thing that doesn't help growing boys become men. And that's controlling moms. I have seen relationships where the mother is totally in charge and the dad defers to her on most decisions. It's anecdotal, but some of the young men I know in their 20s still have moms inserting themselves into decisions instead of letting their adult children make them on their own and their dad goes along to get along. It happens with girls too, but it seems especially damaging to the young men. I learned early on that there is great value in allowing my husband to address the unnecessary whining with the standard suck it up and tough it out when it is appropriate hell yeah agreed you get a second on that one? Oh yeah yeah yep in this case though i also would not blame the controlling mom i would blame the dad yep. oh well yep. yeah, yeah this for is allowing a, that to take place yes it, it, it's funny when my wife and i have these conversations she typically has sympathy for the for the males and no quarter for the women. And I typically have sympathy for the women and have no yeah. quarter for the well. guys. <laughs> so we, whenever we have these conversations, she just goes on and on and on about women and guys can't catch a break. And I go on and on and on about guys and women have the tough end of the stick. It's kind of funny how that works out when we have these well, conversations. It was kind of implied in there, but yeah, yeah you, there's two sides to that coin. And uh, the dad who's just sitting there as a spectator uh, in his own home, um, well, you know, it may very well be that the mother didn't start out controlling at all, but ultimately turned out that way uh, by default. Mm -hmm. It's possible. So, yeah, there's no reason to. uh, And, you know, assertive moms, depending on where that energy is targeted, are obviously enormous blessings in our lives but the point is well taken yeah it's you know you're it for all of their they would view that as as strength but all that really is is a kind of desperate security blanket that can't let little billy turn into robert Mm. and go away Mm -hmm. you seen this at all with the men in your generation aaron oh for sure yeah how yeah, much of it is that the women are just controlling or the women became controlling because they had to fill a void because either dad wasn't there for for you guys or the dad was just a bump on a log? Uh, I think the answer is yes, but I think it's increasingly becoming the former where the women just like to take control. And me and my girlfriend have have um, talked about uh, talked about these types of things a lot, and I, I really appreciate her, her, her parents um, raised her to be able to uh, stand on her own two feet. She doesn't need constant validation, but she has always let me take the lead. Um, 
and I say let me as in she is not the one who is uh, constantly making the decisions, calling the shots. And when I make the decisions and call the shots, I'm not looking behind my back. Uh, and it doesn't mean bossing, I mean, that's another can of worms, but I'm not constantly looking behind my back, which is something I really appreciate about her. And we've talked about parenting down the line as well um, and the need for parents to be a team and not be just dominated by one uh, one spouse or or the other. And when you do that, when your when your marriage comes first, uh, I think the other things fall into line. So that's that's more of a marriage issue than it is a parenting issue, in my view. Hmm. Ryan asks an interesting question. I'm surprised I haven't gotten it until now. I am a data analyst by trade. Ryan says in the past I've heard you mention one, you are not gifted at math. <clears throat> Two, pardon me, you are, profi- you are a proficient data analyst. I find these two statements in conflict. Can you explain your an, a, approach to data analysis? That is a great question, Ryan. Let me explain. I am not proficient in the acquiring of data. Meaning, I can't tell you um, how I, I could not conduct the actual polling algorithm. <clears throat> Pardon me. I, I could not decide to do, uh, I, I don't have the, the, the data or mathematical expertise as a professional pollster does to then weigh my raw data to determine what it means. As I've explained before, when you guys read polling, it, it, it didn't. They called 3,100 people to ask them, do you want to vote for Trump or Hillary? And 51% said they wanted Hillary and 49% said Trump. That's not what happened. What happened is they came to that mathematical conclusion based on when they looked at the demographics of who responded and who did not. And they thought, all right, we took too many calls from that one group. That won't, that's not what the electorate will look like, so throw a few of those out. That, you see what I'm saying? That's where you're weighting the sample. That's beyond my capabilities. I'm not a math guy. What I am good at is taking your math and then adding it into the environment politically or strategically in numerous situations that we are in and saying, based on what you're telling me, the forecast is, this is what we ought to wear. Does that make sense? Taking Mm -hmm. it out of a vacuum. Yes. Yeah. When we were kids, there was a company that sponsored a lot of sporting events on television and they had a motto. We don't make the products you buy. We make the products you buy better. Okay? So, like on the Cruise campaign, Chris Wilson, who's a great follow on Twitter, if you're a political junkie, by the way, Chris Wilson um, was our data guy. Cash money, homie. But, but what, what me and a few others were good at was taking his data, applying it to the environment, and strategically saying, because of these metrics that Chris says are not variables, but they are values, okay? Constants. Because of these constants, strategically, this is what we, what action we should take in order to take these constants, to put them in, in a position to, to put us in the, the best advantage that we can. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are two different things. Where pollsters get in trouble sometimes, um, it's similar to what we've seen a lot when, when, when 
sometimes it's worked. And and one of the reasons why it's worked for the Patriots is they struck all-time gold with the 199th pick in the draft in Tom Brady. Well, Steve, that was a genius pick. Well, not really. I mean, if if the Patriots drafted Tom Brady 199th, 199th, guess how many times they also passed on him too, just like everybody else did. You know what I'm saying? Right. They they struck gold there. Okay. That 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 was blind luck. Now they have they have taken that blind luck and constructed a program that allowed them to take full advantage of it. That's what they get credit for. They don't get credit for drafting Tom Brady 199th and having him turn out to be the goat. They get credit for the fact that after they, after they fell on a pot of gold, they then recognized what were the right ways to, to maximize its sustainability from there. That's what I do. Certain things you can't change. Where pollsters get in trouble, and this is where coaches sometimes, when they think they can be the general manager and the coach, sometimes it works. And it worked for the Patriots because they got lucky with Tom Brady. But a lot of times, how many Super Bowls has your head coach, Andy Reid, won? Zero. Zero. And he's been, he's been the coach general manager everywhere he's went. Now, if they won a lot of games. Except for Kansas City. Except for Kansas City. That's right. That's right. They've won a lot of games. But has he won a championship? No. no. So it's tough to do both of those jobs. In, in a rare case, you can do it. Where pollsters get in trouble is when they try to do what Dick Morris wants to do. When in, the, in the 90s, there was a pollster, uh, Zogby. Zogby was the it pollster in the 90s. He correctly forecast the 96 election, that Bob Dole was going to do better than the... And, I mean, he was, he was the it guy. But then what happened is John Zogby decided he didn't want to just do polling. He wanted to analyze what his polling meant. And now he's really not that good at either. He's kind of a joke. He sucks at this. So is Dick Morris. It's one thing to be the numbers guy and say, here's what the makeup of the electorate is. Here's where, where their heads are at. Here's the issues they care the most about. It's another thing to say, therefore, this should be your message. Because what often ends up happening is you, you consult, you do the consulting version of teaching to the test. You bend the identity of your candidate to your data. As opposed to saying to your candidate, here's the data, figure out how your identity can take advantage of it. Do you think I answered that question okay? Is there, did I leave? I'm, I'm, I don't know. Oh. Did I leave anything unanswered? I'm trying to because I think it's a great question. I'm surprised. Isn't it summed up like this? I'm not very good at playing football, but I really know how to play football. Yes. Yeah. I mean, some of the best managers of all time: Tommy Lasorda, Sparky Anderson, Hall of Famers, middling players. It's rare that a guy who is naturally gifted at playing goes on to be a great manager or coach. Because a lot of times you struggle with developing players that just don't have the same natural ability that you do. Why do we have to do this so many times? Why can't you get this? Well, I wasn't given the God-given talent you were given. That's why. Well, you, You either read the book or saw the movie Moneyball, right? Sure. 
Absolutely. You're Billy Bean. In many respects, yeah. And the other people, the the nerd who came in, and Billy Bean didn't know about Moneyball until this nerd came in who had done data analytics and like for something that had nothing to do with sports. And then he said, you can also do this for baseball. And Billy Bean was the one guy who said, okay, tell me more. So you're Billy Bean. Exactly. I'm not... I'm, I'm not Yes, I'm not Jonah Goldberg who knew how to do the right. numbers. Jonah Goldberg, that's yeah. the guy. Who played I, it, yes. I, I'm, I'm Billy Bean who knows how to take Jonah Goldberg's yes. numbers and say, okay, well, I can strategically think of how to, we're going to take advantage of this now. Correct. I'm not a deeply brilliant person. I'm not. I, I, I'm the guy that failed the quick trip managerial exam because I couldn't remember how to multiply and divide fractions, guys. Okay. <laughs> I, it's a true story. I got an eight. I scored. I scored perfect on two of the facets of my ACT. Only an 18 on the math. That's why I couldn't get into the University of Michigan. Love that story. Okay. What what I am good at is this is where the Lord has blessed me. I'm good at communicating other people's ideas in ways maybe they struggle to communicate themselves that other people can understand their ideas better. Um, I'm good at strategic thinking and I'm quick witted, meaning I think quickly. I can I can. I can absorb a lot of large volumes of information and quickly deduce some meaning or conclusion from them at a rate faster than most people. But I mean, if you want me, listen, if you want, if you're looking for the guy who's going to, you know. Eight times seven, go. Yeah, 56, because I memorized it. <laughs> All right. But if, if you want, if, if you're looking for the guy, you know, we had Nate Madden on who says he's got a handyman business right. today. Oh, yeah. No, I'm calling Nate, yeah. guys. I can change some light bulbs you want me to and some tires. No. Yeah. If you, what was it you tweeted out the other over the weekend? I hated See, you for it. Yeah. I saved eight hundred dollars changing out my own brakes, pads, and routers. Yeah, I'm 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 calling you and having you do it. I can't do any of See, that. See, that's what no, don't don't say you can't do that. You can do that. It's just you make a lot more money than me, so you don't have to do that. I wish that were true, but no, there's, no, it, dude, I really dude, I'm really not good at that stuff. Uh, this is bordering on a violation of the dude code. Don't don't say you can't do manly things. Just say, I'm so manly I make more money than you. <laughs> So I don't have to do that. What is this, a Tony Robbins seminar? He's coaching me now. <laughs> I kind of like that. He's coaching me now. But um, I, I think maybe, did I answer his question, you think, Aaron? Yeah. Yep. All right. But it's a great question. I, I'm surprised someone has not asked me that before. All right, final thoughts, Todd. Oh, we're done, huh? I think we're, it's been like 40 minutes. Yeah, was, was that like yep. three questions? Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts, um, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, next couple of weeks. Going up to the uh, Mall of America uh, this weekend with my family, and then this weekend with uh, my eldest daughter, uh, flying out to Las Vegas for a soccer tournament of all things. So you're not you're not here Monday, right? You asked me about that already. Cor- uh, no, not. Next I'm Monday. here this Monday. I'm not. Oh, it's the Monday because yeah. after our spring break, you're, not, you're coming. You're taking one extra yeah. day. That's right. Okay. And well, hey, and basketball. That uh, yep. Duke. Um, wow, I have I haven't spent much time watching, but that was something. I mean, Notre Dame was throwing everything they had at Duke, and it wasn't even close to enough yesterday. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, my final thoughts: uh, watch lots of basketball, and don't end up in a ditch. <laughs> And don't admit you can't do manly things, exactly. old man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll do it for today's podcast. Thanks for tuning in here on Westwood One. Don't forget to check out the television show today on CRTV. Promo code DACE if you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV. 
And we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Enjoy the basketball. When we come back again, we're going to have brackets, guys. Oh, yeah. We're going to have brackets when we do this again on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. 